industry focus. The podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wild card! Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. Welcome to Industry Focus. I'm Nick Seipel. On today's episode, we'll be breaking down the Nikola saga from leading the EV SPAC boom to making a blockbuster deal with GM to its founder and chairman, Trevor Milton, abruptly resigning in the face of a short seller report that's alleged the company has misled investors. Here to help me break it all down is Motley Fool Senior Auto Analyst, John Rosevere. John, welcome back on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Nick. So you know, you heard my intro. It's been kind of a crazy story uh, here with with Nikola Motor. Just just to kind of go back uh, through the timeline, it was March second uh, that this SPAC deal to bring Nikola public uh, was first announced. Pr- prior to that deal, I don't think uh, Nikola was on a lot of investors' radar. John, you're someone who follows this space. What was your perception of Nikola before uh, this SPAC deal came out? Well, I mean, we'd hear we'd hear about them every now and then. There was a thing they did last year where one of their prototype trucks towed a beer trailer and then uh, handed it off to smaller electric delivery vans. And Anheuser Busch made a little bit of a splash around that. Uh, so they did have at least one truck working. So take note of that. We'll come back to that. Uh, but but I, I mean, years ago you'd hear about Trevor Nick uh, Trevor Milton. Um, and it seemed almost like he was, you know, poking fun at Elon Musk a little bit. Obviously, the name of the company, but also, you know, Elon's famous comment years ago about fuel cells being fool cells and unpractical to be impractical to use at a wide scale uh, to commercialize in a, in a mass way. And and you know, Trevor got a little bit of attention every now and then by saying, "No, they're not. No, they're not. I'm doing it. We're doing it. They make sense for heavy trucks. We're building heavy trucks." Uh, you know, the, there wasn't a lot of buzz around them. Every now and then, you'd hear something, but yeah, and it, until the uh, the spec deal was announced with Vecto IQ, uh, was the name of the uh, the special purpose acquisition company. Uh, we didn't hear a whole lot about them. That's when we kind of all got to know them in a hurry, a lot better, and what the state of their technology was, and what they had claimed, and who their partners were, and so forth. Yeah, I mean, let's talk about when that company came public. I mean, it was it was a heck of a, a debut. So on June third, started trading under, under the ticker in KLA after that that deal closed, rocketed up to a market cap larger than Ford. What, what was the narrative the company was selling at that time as far as their product roadmap uh, and where they were going to, you know, how they were going to come to market? The gist of it was okay. So. We have a deal. Uh, we're going to build heavy trucks in our own factory in Arizona. Uh, they were buying sort of partially assembled chassis from Iveco, which is a European truck maker. Um, that's CNHI is the ticker of its parent company, by the way. And uh, you know they're going to install these these electric drivetrains. And first was going to come a battery electric truck uh, with a range of something like three or four hundred miles, and then a hydrogen fuel cell truck a year or two later with a range of more like seven hundred miles. Uh, they were going to offer them uh, via leases the hydrogen fuel cell trucks. Uh, would come with both trucks would come would be leased with maintenance included. The fuel cell trucks, uh, the lease would also include refueling at a planned network of some 700 or so stations around North America that Nikola was going to try and have built out by basically mid decade. Uh, maybe a little later. Um, and this was all coming. And oh, by the way, you know, surprise, they also had a pickup truck designed and they were looking for a partner to manufacture it. Uh, that was the story. And it was a great story because there is clearly demand for, I mean, zero emission heavy trucks. Think of think of how much 
that would clean up, you know, if it could be done cost effectively. And it seemed like on paper, at least, Nikola had cracked the financial code to make this attractive to fleets. And, you know, he had a lot of sort of kick the tires kind of interest. Yeah, we'll buy two trucks and try them, that kind of thing. Uh, and it seemed like they were, you know, more or less where they wanted to be. Uh, where they have since gotten into trouble was that last fall they kind of claimed they had a battery special sauce, you know, super efficient battery. Uh, that seems not to have been the case, and they seem not to really have their own hydrogen fuel cell technology. Right. So, so yeah, we'll, we'll get to the, the, the short seller report. So, so, right before that short seller report, so on, on September 8th, we probably got this, this first indication that maybe Nikola's technology wasn't as, as robust as they let on when they announced a deal with GM, where GM would receive a stake in Nikola around 11%, a $2 billion uh, a nominal value uh, in exchange for providing services to Nikola. They would, they would help supply uh, fuel cell technologies as well as battery technologies. And that sent Nikola shares up 40% on the day. John, what can you tell us about the details of that deal and what it meant for, for GM and for Nikola? First of all, I have to say this really clearly because it continues to be misunderstood. GM did not invest a dime in Nikola. You know, they did not put up any cash for this deal. Uh, what they have promised to do is develop the pickup truck into a viable product, the Nikola Badger pickup truck, uh, using the architecture of the electric heavy pickup trucks they are developing um, to be the you know, the electric Chevy Silverado and GMC Sierra. Uh, there's also a Hummer coming back, which is being positioned as a GMC product, sort of a, a heavy-duty, high-performance, high-end off-road SUV. Uh, they're going to use the bones of that project uh, to build the Nikola Badger. Nikola Badger. Uh, and in addition, uh, they were going to sell batteries. Uh, GM uh, launched earlier this year uh, what it calls its Ultium battery system, uh, which is a highly modular, modular, configurable, competitive cost electric vehicle battery system. They're going to sell them the, uh, sell batteries to Nikola, which gave GM scale on the battery program. And they're also going to sell fuel cells. GM has been working for several years in a joint venture with Honda uh, to commercialize fuel cells for vehicle use. And the thought has been not so much that these would be mass produced for cars, but that they would have niche markets. Uh, GM and Honda have talked to military uh, customers, potential military customers, truck uh, customers, and so on and so forth. The kind of thing where, you know, you need a lot of juice, uh, like a heavy truck where the battery pack to give six, 700 miles range would be impracticably heavy and would take away from the, the cargo you can haul. Uh, and also the recharging is fast because you're filling a tank of hydrogen. It's not like, you know, even fast charging. Uh, you know, as Toyota says with their hydrogen fuel cell car, you know, it's, it's an electric car that you can recharge at a hydrogen station in five minutes. Um, so, you know, there are niches for hydrogen fuel cells and, and GM and Honda have been working towards a commercial product that could fill those niches. Uh, you know, being able to sell some to, to Nicola was great from GM's perspective. Hey, we'll get more scale on this program. We have a customer, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So it all looked good for GM. And they were getting, uh, a, a, what was it, a 10 or 11% stake. Of course, they were getting it at about 41 bucks a share, if I remember correctly. And the stock is not near that at the moment. But, you know, for GM, GM said, yeah, we've checked out Nicola. Uh, yeah, we'll do this for them. Uh, what some of us said right on that spot was, wait a minute, I thought Nikola had its own tech. Why are they buying GM stuff? On the other hand, um, 
you know, GM is obviously a real business with real stuff coming. And so, you know, they would at least have good batteries and good fuel cells and so forth to start with, even if they were, you know, didn't really have their own tech or were tinkering with it or whatever. Uh, but it raised a few questions. And then, of course, I think it was three days later, the, the Hindenburg report dropped. Yeah, exactly, John. Yeah, I want to move on, on to that now. I, I shared that uh, opinion when GM announced that deal. You know, it, from one perspective, it makes sense. You partner with, with this manufacturer with a lot of scale and some experience in, in some of this technology. Maybe it reduces your costs. But then the question is, where is Nikola's, where's the there there? Where's their technology that they own that makes them special versus someone that's just putting together technology uh, uh, for, from other companies? And that that leads into this short seller report on September 10th. Hindenburg Research uh, released a report calling Nikola, quote, an intricate fraud and outlining what it said were instances of the company misrepresenting its technology and progress towards developing its trucks. John, Obviously, this is almost a 70-page long report, but as far as the, what were the high-level allegations in this report, and what was Nicola's response to those? Uh, to way oversimplify the report, it's basically everything Nicholas showed us before the end of 2017 or so uh, was bogus, was, was smoke and mirrors, uh, that you know, there are some trivial things like they covered up the label on a part that was used on a prototype, an inverter. Uh, you know, they were planning to make their own. They bought one for a demo. Uh, you know, they, that, that, that kind of thing is no big deal when you're a startup and you're scrambling. But there were some more serious things. Their, their original uh, prototype, the Nikola One, which is a this big white semi-truck that was said to be fully functional, um, was not actually fully functional. Now, that was back in 2016 that they showed that. They have since shown um, trucks that are fully functional. But the problem here, from Nicholas' perspective, is they didn't come out right away swinging. Uh, you know, the report sat there for a couple of days. People digested it. Uh, you know, Trevor Milton said some things on Twitter that were not especially helpful. Um, and And so it really got its grip on the market, and the stock went down and it has been still going down. It was down last I looked today. So, yeah. So, so last I checked in, you know, this is a very volatile stock. So, so subject to change, but the shares were down about 50% uh, since the short seller report. There's also been reports uh, that the SEC and the Department of Justice have also opened some inquiries uh, in, in response. Uh, yeah, I, the big thing for me is when you when you saw Nicola's response, uh, it was very clearly drafted by counsel and uh, weren't in, we're not any direct. Uh, uh, you know, uh, refutations of any of the allegations, in particular, uh, the big one that a lot of folks have talked about, this idea that, that Nikola, in order to show that their, their truck uh, uh, was operational, rolled it downhill uh, versus actually having a working uh, uh, engine and, you know, powertrain uh, in the vehicle. And then I think what piles on top of this, as we were talking about before we, we started recording, is that very soon thereafter, you had this initial response uh, from Trevor Milton, uh, the the a founder and chairman of Nikola saying, we're going to refute all these allegations one by one and cowards run. And then on Monday, September 21st, Nikola, uh, Trevor Milton resigned. And then the very next day, uh, he deleted his Twitter account uh, without any announcement. This is someone who had been very, very, very active on Twitter uh, uh, in responding to shareholders and responding to some of these allegations. When you saw the response from Trevor Milton here, John, how did you, what was your, what was your reaction? As we were saying before we started the podcast, we should note that Trevor 
uh, Trevor's resignation came out at 2.20 a.m. Eastern Monday morning. I mean, they, they were obviously hashing this out all weekend. And a couple of days later, Nicola filed a deal. Basically, Trevor agrees to to pick up and go away and not say anything. And and yeah, and we saw him delete his Twitter account. Uh, it, it has really been, you know, quite something. The response is, I, I mean, my, my two cent take on the response when they, when they dropped it was, okay, first of all, our lawyers wrote this, as you said, second of all, um, you know, yeah, there was some smoke and mirrors back before 2017 or so, but not since. And besides short sellers are awful people. I mean, that was kind of the report. And, and uh, you know, I, 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 that's about what I said on Twitter, actually. If people follow me on Twitter, uh, I used a different word, that awful people, but that, that's about what it was. Um, it, it, what it wasn't was a substantive point-by-point refutation of the Hindenburg report, which is what Trevor Nichols, uh, Trevor Milton, I keep wanting to call him Trevor Nicola, Trevor Milton Tim had Apple. promised. <laughs> yeah, I am. Yeah, Tim Apple and Steve Apple. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Uh, and and. You know, it, it the report went deeper and sort of showed that 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 perhaps Trevor Milton was something of a smoke and mirror artist, shall we say? Uh, you know, and I I think it got a little personal. Um, but again, they did not come out swinging to immediately refute it. Uh, what we heard was uh, Stephen Gursky, who is the former GM vice chairman who led the special purpose acquisition company that took this that took Nicola public, uh, basically said, we stand by our due diligence. GM came out and said, yeah, we stand by our due diligence. So you kind of wonder who knew what, when, where, why, and how here. Uh, but, you know, as of today, Trevor's out. Um, you know, and, and, you know, they're circling the wagons a little bit. Uh, the management team has been quietly talking to institutional investors saying, you know, we're going to go on with the plan. We've got cash in the bank. We've got these partnerships. Everything's ready to go. Uh, GM said, GM reaffirmed a couple times that they would continue, uh, you know, to work with Nicola when, when Nicola was ready for that. Uh, another partner, Robert Bosch, the big European auto supplier, said they, they are continuing to work with Nicola. But, um, you know, it, as as yesterday or the day before, we had a report that uh, when this short seller report dropped, they were on the verge of a deal with BP where BP was going to build their hydrogen refueling station network. Uh, and BP basically put everything on hold when that dropped and we don't know the state of that and we don't know the state of their talks with other potential partners but obviously uh it appears they can't do much on their own because they don't have much on their own i mean they have an engineering team they have you know sales folks they have uh some basic corporate infrastructure but they don't have any super secret sauce technology it does not appear that they have um one key of their business plan was that they could make hydrogen really cheaply from natural gas uh, whether they can actually do that or not uh, remains an open question. It's not something they've addressed, but the fact that they haven't addressed it is certainly suggestive. Um, you know, a lot of things are up in the air right now. I, I, the Wedbush analyst came out this morning, downgraded the stock, and and said, you know, there's a dark cloud hanging over Nikola right now, and until that cloud uh, is dissipated, it's hard to know what it's worth here. And I, I, I wholeheartedly agree with that assessment. <laughs> Yeah, I'll tell you, yeah. from my point of view, it almost feels like, you know, that, that this company that, you know, even even before, you know, the short seller report came out when, we, when we've discussed it, it is there's a lot of execution. They don't have a, a truck yet that's produced at volume. They've got to deliver this product for, for customers. And I'd say at this point, when you look at what are the assets they hold, what differentiates them, to me, it just seems as though 
it's, it's kind of a bucket of money that can be allocated towards, you know, uh, renewable electric vehicles and that sort of thing. And, and that, that money has been raised and needs, needs to be deployed uh, in some capacity. I think that that's part of what explains why GM is sticking by this deal, because, the, you know, this is still capital that, that you know, can, can go into buying products uh, uh, from GM. But, but again, uh, there's no, not going to be demand for the trucks if you don't have refueling stations. And so the, the question is, you know, where are these partnerships going to come from? And I think there's a lot of pressure. You mentioned Stephen Gursky. He's taken over as chairman, uh, is now in the leadership role here uh, to, to right the ship and to prove there's there's something there uh, behind the company. What confidence do you have in in these folks to, to right the ship? And what do you view as the, the future of the business here? Well, Gursky is a serious person. Okay, uh, he, he's not. You know, I mean, somebody's like, "Oh, pump and dump game," and I'm like, "No, Gursky, that's not that's not Stephen Gursky. Stephen Gursky is someone who has a very big Rolodex in the auto industry and is taken seriously, uh, you know, by among other people, Mary Barra. This is probably why GM came in. Gursky was the vice chairman of GM at one point, um, but. My take is they have the bones of a business. I mean, they have the partnerships to build the truck. What they have is that a lot of the work has been done to get toward building the truck. They, you know, they have a site for a factory. I think the factory has, it has I think they've broken ground on the factory, uh, the facility in Arizona that they're going to use to to build out the heavy trucks, the semis. They have the deal with GM. Uh, because of that smoke, it's not entirely clear what pieces are missing, at least not to me right now. Uh, but but they seem to have the bones of a business, and certainly they are not bankrupt. Um, having just you know put six seven hundred million dollars in the bank, uh, they certainly have the cash to go fairly well along with this. Um, but yeah, there's a there's a credibility issue, and I think what has to happen is is the management team that exists now without Trevor uh, needs to move forward enough to reestablish some credibility. And, you know, I'm not sure how they do that. Uh, GM standing up and saying, yeah, we're sticking with them helps somewhat, but then everybody backs up and says, yeah, but GM doesn't actually have any cash at risk here. Uh, <laughs> you know, there's a, there's a, there's a very tiny reputational risk here. And honestly, that hit has already been taken. Uh, <laughs> and GM doesn't care a whole lot about that stuff right now. Anyway, I don't think Mary Barr is losing sleep over Nicola. Um, but for GM, it's pure opportunity, pretty much, and and you know the ten percent or so stake is is a bonus that might or might not pay off someday, uh, and that will at minimum pay for the development work if they do it and the truck sales don't go anywhere, uh, the pickup truck. Um, so, to back up and answer your question, there is there's the bones of a business here. They have some. A few of the critical partnerships they need. Uh, do they have all the pieces? No, I don't think so. I think B BP was going to be a big piece. It may turn out that a month from now, uh, you know, Steve Gursky and BP hash out a deal uh, where BP feels safe proceeding, um, and and like there's a profitable opportunity for them, and they move forward with that, uh, and that you know from that dark cloud may emerge. You know, a company that isn't valued at thirty or forty or fifty billion or whatever, but that is a viable company working toward a market opportunity, and if nothing else, a year or two ahead of anybody who might start up right now. Yeah. So, John, when you say that, uh, it reminds me of, of a company that we all talked about about a year ago uh, that that kind of was developing uh, this this new innovation. 
uh, that had a very a very flashy founder that had had a really high run up in its stock price, and then that founder had left overnight with a big bucket of money, uh, leaving behind a company that you know maybe has a future, but but we we question its viability. And that was the WeWork story, uh, uh, you know, with, with uh, Adam Newman. Uh, and that story a year ago, SoftBank sticking by that company, uh, a company that collapsed from, I believe, it was $47 billion valuation down to the single digits, uh, a billion. And you've got a similar thing with, uh, uh, with Nikola, where, where the valuation collapsed uh, from higher than four to around $30 billion to now, I think it was $6 billion this morning. Who knows where it is by the end of the day. Do you think that WeWork comparison is fair? Well, I, I didn't look really closely at WeWork, but my understanding is that there may not have been a viable, profitable, sustainable business underneath all of the, the joyful Adam Newman talk. Uh, what I can tell you, knowing this space a lot better than I know the commercial real estate space, is that there's a market for um, you know green big rigs. There is a market there. There is demand for them. There are fleets who would like to be buying them now. If they are cost effective, if you can show over the total lifetime of the vehicle that it's you know not going to cost them a ton more money than a diesel rig that they've got in service today, uh, so whether Nikola is a viable business or not, you know, I mean, it has to plan to produce products for which there is definitely a market at the right price. I think it depends on on how well they can execute in terms of cost and pricing. Uh, you know, certainly getting their fuel cells from GM uh, saves them both time and money and and could perhaps lower the cost for the fuel cell trucks. Uh, you know, the batteries will be competitive. Competitive GM's Ultium batteries uh, are expected to come in um, you know, at or near the the forefront of the industry when they when they launch next year or whenever it is. I think it's next year. Um, so again, there are the bones of that. But if if you're doing this all by paying partners, your own margin isn't going to be all that much at the end of the day if you have to deliver uh, to a price. And so I guess what I'm saying is there are a lot of financial moving parts, and whether this works or not remains to be seen. But I but but there's demand for the product they want to build, and they have a path to building the product. Uh, whether they can build it at a price. Uh, that will satisfy the demand uh, with other entrants ranging from, you know, Tesla talks about its semi, but Freightliner, which is owned by Daimler, uh, is also building electric semis, and they also have some fuel cell technology. And there are a lot of other entrants eyeing this space, both big and small. Uh, there's a company we've talked about here called Hylian, which is working to build uh, fuel cell drivetrains or electric drivetrains of various kinds uh, that can be fitted into existing uh, class eight semis, tractor trailer trucks. And, you know, that might be the way to do this where, you know, companies like Freightliner and, and Mac and, and Peterbilt and so forth continue to build the big rigs. But instead of installing diesel engines from Cummins, they install uh, hybrid natural gas powered or fuel cell, uh, powertrains from companies like Hylian. Uh, that might be the path. I don't know that Nikola has the best path. Uh, but again, I do know that, you know, they have a, a, what looks on paper to be a viable plan to produce a product, uh, for which there is and will be demand. Um, it all comes down to how well they can price it and how well, as we've been saying about Nikola since March, how well they can execute. Yeah, so one other company I'll mention is I believe Hyundai is starting testing on their fuel cell trucks, I believe in the U.S. next year. Uh, and yeah, I think that the big takeaway from what you said there, John, is Nikola. And I think, you know, to the extent that this bleeds over into the sector from a narrative perspective, 
but Nikola has gone from a company being valued on its potential, how big the market could be in the future, to what it actually has right now. And I think that's uh, partially to do, or in a large part, to do uh, from you know the, the the shining light that uh, the, the short seller report uh, put on the company. Uh, we'll see where the sector goes from here, but 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 clearly, uh, whether from governments or, or or businesses wanting to be more green, there, there's some demand uh, to move. Uh, these the trucking infrastructure towards more green solutions. Yep. All right. <laughs> it, there's a lot of demand. I mean, they know they have to clean up their act. You know, we, we saw California wants to end sales of gasoline-powered cars. There's regulations coming like this for trucks, and they're coming all over the world. And, and the industry knows that it can't run diesel forever. And they're anxious to move to the next thing so that they can remain you know, viable businesses that continue to make good profits, moving goods. Uh, you know, trucking is a service we need until, you know, so we invent something better. Uh, so somebody's got to do this. Somebody has to enter this business, uh, you know, by mid-decade, somebody has to be selling these trucks. There are a few people, angling, a few companies, both established players and new entrants like Tesla. Uh, Tesla isn't really new, but they would be a new entrant in heavy trucks. Uh, angling for a piece of this market, which everybody seems forming by 2025 or so, uh, yeah, Nikola uh, could be among the first movers if they can you know, pull up their bootstraps and get moving here again. Uh, but we don't know that yet. Yeah, we shall see. I think it this is a really difficult PR hurdle to get over as an organization, not to mention uh, the, the execution risk. I think about like an athlete when there's drama going on in the press, right? It's like, it's difficult enough to win a championship. And then you've got all the outside, the outside things uh, affecting you. So what we'll be following that story. We'll be following uh, this whole sector as it develops. And John will be excited to have you on again uh, in the future to break it all down. All right. Thanks very much, Nick. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Molly Fool may have formal recommendations for or against the stocks discussed, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Tim Sparks for mixing the show. For John Rosevere, I'm Nick Seipel. Thanks for listening and Fool on. Fool on.